0: You are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. I got a bad feeling about this. I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. He's looking at you, kid. What we got here is a failure to communicate. You could ask yourself a question, do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Welcome to the second ever MovieForums.com podcast. My name is Chris Boyer. Today is May 1st, 2009 AD. Uh, this is the uh, first podcast um, uh, in about two months, actually, which is you know completely unacceptable uh we'll make sure that doesn't happen again uh still figuring out some tech things over here but uh we're well on our way and hopefully uh, this will become a more regular occurrence uh but anyway um the summer movie season is heating up uh, a lot of uh, a lot of movies about to come out we're heading that hitting that period of the year really where there's pretty much a a quote unquote big movie or some kind of tent pole flick uh, just about every week uh whereas you know in the uh in the months in between the summer movie season and the holiday movie season, sometimes you have to wait as much as a month uh, to get a new release that you're excited about. Uh, granted, a lot of these movies aren't, aren't really going to be uh, winning any Academy Awards, but they should all be good fun. Uh, and the summer movie season, actually, this year is kicking off with X-Men Origins, Wolverine. That comes out today, actually, uh, May 1st. And, of course, there's a bit of a controversy around this one. Um, a, um, a work print leaked onto the Internet a few weeks ago. And uh, a, a number of uh, officials at the studio kind of scrambled to claim that it wasn't really the uh, finished version of the film. At least that was the claim. Uh, now that we're nearing the actual release, we found out that that, of course, is not true. That it was uh, very close to the uh, to the finished version. Granted, a lot of music and effects were probably missing, but uh, really, it was all just a bunch of spin and damage control. Um, but what I want to talk about here, just for a minute before we get into the other films uh, coming out this summer, I know it doesn't. Uh, it probably won't go over very well. If I uh, defend a, a big old movie studio, uh, particularly one that, uh, as we now know, sort of told a little white lie uh, to try to protect their product. But whatever you think of studios um, and whatever you think of this studio and the way they've handled it or whether or not you even you know, give a crap about this movie, y- you really have to wonder about a process that that is that is viewing these movies before they're done, that is generating negative buzz. Uh, long before the movie's actually been released, and people have had a chance to see it and judge it for themselves you know and 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 even if you're kind of uh even if you're a little sympathetic to the idea of sharing uh sharing art and uh you know uh movie piracy things like that, this really isn't you know fair to the people who uh who put their time and uh and their money a lot of money into this movie uh you know tens of millions of dollars can can swing in the balance with just a little bit of negative or just a little bit of positive buzz right off the bat. So, you know, really, I don't think it's too much to ask that we see these movies and we let them come out and we let them be dissected publicly uh, a, l- a little bit um, before we actually judge them here uh, without judging, you know, some grainy work print uh, that comes out a month before. Um, and, you know, it's really it's part of a larger problem that I hope to touch on in, in future podcasts. I don't want to get bogged down in it today, but it's kind of part of a larger problem where we're becoming too familiar, maybe, with, with the process. You know, we we like our behind-the-scenes features on the DVDs, and that's all well and good. But it's kind of getting to the point where we need to see the product every step of the way. We're reading the script uh, before it comes out. We, we've we got on-the-set photos. We get trailers that, that give away so much uh, of, of the finished product. And then we get to the point where the movies don't really get a chance to surprise us anymore. And, uh, you know, I'm not entirely sure that's a good thing. But uh, that's for another uh, podcast, and I'm certainly sure, I'm sure it will be because it's a it's really an interesting topic, and it, it's interesting to see how as movie fans we've evolved to expect more, and maybe actually harmed our own enjoyment. But we'll get that to we'll get to that uh, in another show. Uh, let's move forward with some of the other movies coming out this summer. Next Friday uh, we've got Star Trek. That's May eighth. Now this is a really interesting movie um, for a few different reasons. For one thing, uh, pretty much everybody agrees that the Star Trek films have kind of run their course at this point. The last one, Nemesis. Had some interesting ideas, but uh, really didn't pull them together. And, uh, you know, there have been um, quite a few uh, movies in the series now. Um, I think they did something like six with the uh, ori- based on the original series and something like four based on the next generation. Um, and even the last few television series attempts, like Voyager, uh, Voyager obviously did, it, did uh, pretty well, but uh, eventually died off. And uh, I think the last one was called Enterprise, and that one just did not do well at all um but that it's not stopping them from trying to revive this because you know there're obviously still a lot of fans out there. Uh what's interesting though is that it's um it's being helmed by JJ J. Abrams, who uh, might as well be King Midas these days. Uh he of course did Cloverfield, he he he's worked on Lost, Alias, the guy everything the guy touches turns to gold. And uh this film doesn't look like it's going to be any exception. There's a lot of really good early buzz on this. Last I checked Rotten Tomatoes had 15 reviews, all of them positive. And you know, and, and and the trailers look good too. I mean, granted, that's not a great barometer, but taken all together, the early buzz, the early reviews, the trailers, uh, and and just the the kind of pedigree of the of the people behind it, and it looks pretty promising. You know, uh, I from what I hear, and of course it's not fact so much as opinion, but obviously the Wrath of Khan is considered to be the best in the series, and I actually saw it for the first time just a few weeks ago, and was and was quite impressed and apparently the people on board here abrams and some of the producers and writers they're all big uh, wrath of khan fans so that bodes well for this and uh, also boding well uh for the new star trek film is the fact that um while well, i don't without divulging too much they have found a way to respect star trek canon while still going off in their own direction and you know showing that sort of respect and reverence uh for the source material that's always a good sign and you know it's something you kind of got to do you kind of got to kiss the rings of the fanboys now you know you can't just you can't uh, denounce them as some little fringe group you know and focus on the mainstream audience you know they they turn out in droves and they can uh, get get the uh, early buzz out there and the uh and uh, they're they're a bigger group than they used to be now. Uh, they're mobilized, so you kind of got to pay them homage a little bit, and it sounds like they're doing it. So good signs there. Good signs there. The uh, week after that, May fifteenth, we've got Angels and Demons. This is a sort of a it's sort of technically a follow up to the Da Vinci Code. It's another Dan Brown novel, um, except that chronologically, I believe it came first in uh, in terms of the books at least. Now this one, um, I think they're playing around with the continuity a little bit. Um, and probably uh, playing around with the film a bit, too, because the trailer looks a lot more action-packed than I understand the actual book is, and uh, it looks like they may have played, played with it so that it actually will work more like a sequel rather than a prequel. Uh, don't know if that's the case. We'll see. But I do have to wonder if a lot of people are going to be a little let down by the title. You know, obviously it has a supernatural tint to it that I don't think it's going to end up having when, uh, when all is said and done. A uh, week after that, uh, May 22nd, uh, is Terminator Salvation, which started quite a bit of controversy on movie forums, actually. A lot of talk about the rating, whether or not it's going to be the first Terminator film to be rated PG-13 rather than R, and, uh, why that might be. Um, quite a bit of furor over it, and I can't say I entirely blame people, if only because it's hard to imagine really, uh, making the Terminators, you know, fearsome enough without showing them inflicting some, uh, some R-rated damage. Um, but, you know, it's, it's kind of weird here because, this isn't really a resurrection. It hasn't been very long since the last film. It's not. It's not really clear why they're doing it. Um, just because the motivation isn't clear. You know, with Bat- with a movie like Batman Begins, they're clearly trying to start over. Uh, and with some. And with something like Star Trek, they're sort of trying to start over, but they're not trying to wipe the slate clean. You know, they're not necessarily unhappy with the previous films. They're just trying to take it in a new direction. With Terminator Salvation, it's not really clear which of the two it is. It looks like it's supposed to fit inside the previous continuity. But it looks like it's going to be very different as well. Uh, Moreover, it it doesn't seem as necessary, maybe, or it doesn't seem to have as much reason to exist. Um, I'm one of the people who thought that Terminator 3, uh, Rise of the Machines, I think was the subtitle, was actually horribly underrated and a really exceptional film that that really pulled together the previous two in in a very elegant way. So this doesn't really feel necessary to me. And uh, this coming from someone who's usually all for for, uh, just more movies in general, I don't tend to think they really harm the ones that already exist, but I really felt that it, the the series came full circle with T three, and I'm very surprised to see them make another one, let alone so soon. Um, and you know, also now that we're uh, on this topic here, uh, Terminator two holds up really well too. It's not out of date. You know, even the effects, you know, which were groundbreaking at the time, still hold up pretty well. So this really feels more, even more unnecessary than most uh, sequels do. Um, and the PG-13 rating obviously feels strange, too. It looks like they're going to make up for maybe the lack of actual gore and carnage with sort of a bleaker feeling, if that's even possible. Uh, it's very dried-out looking, uh, very very bleak, very dark, I'm sure. And uh, probably a lot of, uh, you know, the typical questioning of what it means to be human and, and, uh, and those, uh, those kind of struggles that, you know, were, were interesting once upon a time but now become old hat and we have a movie every year, you know, asking you where the line is drawn between man and machine. So it might be a little late to the party on, on several different fronts. Uh, after that, actually, I should say the same weekend uh, is Night at the Museum, Battle of the Smithsonian, uh, the follow-up to the the breakout hit. I think it was just about two years ago. Uh, the first flick was su- surprisingly fun, actually, and this one should open really big, um, particularly because even with Terminator Salvation coming out, obviously they're playing to very different markets, so that should be fine. But it's only going to have one week of fun uh, before uh, Up, Pixar's latest film, crashes the party the next week. That's May 29th. Uh what can you say about it really? Uh you got to bet on Pixar uh until they actually let you down and they haven't yet. Um but what I'm interested in, in actually is that their topics are are kind of getting increasingly eclectic and uh and narrow really uh, after starting out a lot broader, you know, in the beginning. Obviously their first effort, Toy Story, really broad. As soon as you hear about it, you think, "Oh man, there there's a lot of jokes there, there's, there's a lot of story they could mine, a lot of references." Even finding Nemo, they've got the entire ocean to work with. It's kind of Pixar does fish. And then you get movies like Ratatouille, which which sound very strange uh, when you first hear the, the plot synopsis, and now Up, which seems to be about an elderly man whose house flies away because balloons are attached to it. So it's not really the simple straightforward hook that a Toy Story or a Finding Nemo had. So, um, you know, it's, it's very gutsy, actually, of them. You know, they could do the safe thing and just sort of go through different things. You know, here's one at a zoo, here's one at an aquarium, and, and just take it easy and just crank out hit after hit. But, you know, they're going off in new directions and doing interesting things, and you've got to applaud them for that. And you've got to expect that Up is going to be, you know, right up there with the rest of them, if only because uh, they haven't really let us down yet. Uh, coming out that same week, and also uh, counter-programming, just like the week before, is a Sam Raimi film called Drag Me to Hell. which is, uh, if nothing else, a very compelling title. Uh, But even with that title, a movie about hell, uh, apparently, uh, you might be surprised to hear that this one's probably going to be PG-13 too, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Now, I don't really mind that sort of rating uh, controversy when it comes to Terminator Salvation uh, too much. They can still make a good film that way. But I'm not a big fan of it when it comes to horror films. I think it kind of puts a cap on what can happen to the characters, at least on screen. There are always exceptions. I'd say the... One of the some of the scarier horror films I've ever seen have still been PG-13, but I think that's the exception to the rule. I think knowing that it's PG-13, you know that whatever happens to them, you're not going to see the worst of it. Um, but at the same time, you know it's really nice to see Sam Raimi get back to his uh, his horror roots. And uh, early word sounds pretty good, and it sounds like the the difference in cuts between the original R-rated version and the PG-13 cut are actually pretty minimal. I think they were described as being in the seconds and not even the minutes. So uh, we'll see if it makes a big difference. But either way, uh, interesting to see Raimi get back to that. Uh, the week after that, Friday, June 5th, we have Land of the Lost. Uh, this is Will Farrell, and the whole thing looks very, very tongue in cheek. Um, it's interesting about Ferrell, really. You know, he's, he hasn't, he doesn't need to change things up. You know, his comedies have still been quite successful, and he's probably one of the most successful comedic actors, you know, in the entire industry right now, if not, you know, the most sought after, aside from maybe Jim Carrey. But this is sort of like what Adam Sandler did, actually, after a string of, uh, comedic hits. He did movies like Big Daddy, and more recently, Bedtime Stories, which, you know, they maybe had some appeal to his fans. Big Daddy did, I know. Bedtime Stories, probably not so much. Uh, even if they weren't really for his fans, he kind of went off in a different direction with them, sort of family-based, sort of broadened his appeal a little bit. And, you know, frankly, there might be more money to be made that way anyway. And this kind of looks like Farrell might be doing the same sort of thing here with Land of the Lost, sort of, you know, give, uh, give other people a chance uh, to become Will Farrell fans. So if so, I think it might be a pretty shrewd move, you know, and uh, we'll see. You know, we don't really have any earlier views in yet. Way too early to say. But it's interesting from a career choice perspective uh, for Will Ferrell, if nothing else. Uh week after that, June 12th, we have uh, The Taking of Pelham 123. I believe this is a remake of an older film. Uh, Denzel Washington, of course, is playing uh, another no-nonsense man, kind of like his uh, character from Inside Man, retired from the police force and then went into the transit authority. Uh, that's what the film's about. It's about a, a hostage situation on a subway car. Uh, John Travolta is uh, leading the charge and uh, taking the hostages. And he has a really, really horrible, uh, mustache in this film. He looks like, I hate to say it, but he kind of looks like a bisexual raver. It's, uh, it's a very odd look for him, and, um, it's, it's gonna invoke some chuckles, and boy, this film had better be good, because if it, if it isn't, yeah, it's going to have a lot of unintentional comedy. Um, week after that, June 19th, we have a film called Year One. Um, now there's a, l- a little bit of ado about this one. Uh, the original cut received an R rating uh but it was recut and the director and producer uh, i think Judd Apatow was among them there i think he was one of the producers uh, apparently showed up personally uh before the board lobbied hard and got it down to a PG-13 actually uh they won their appeal i believe uh seems hard to go wrong with this one it's Jack Black and Michael Cera sort of uh force gumping their way through historical events and uh just basically not really playing characters so much as playing themselves uh in these time periods uh but this is still a bit of a high wire act it's kind of a kind of an odd premise Kind of an unusual one, um, and it's a little hard to tell what we're getting with this one. So we'll see how it turns out. But I think it's I think it's gutsy, uh, if nothing else. Uh, week after that, this is when the this is when the summer probably hits its height. Uh, this is June twenty sixth, and uh, Transformers Two: Revenge of the Fallen comes out that day. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna buck it up. I'm gonna be a man. I'm gonna crawl out onto this shaky limb of mine and say that this is gonna make approximately one point six bazillion dollars in its opening weekend. Uh, the first film, of course, was, was a model summer popcorn flick. I mean, if you had to construct one from scratch using any elements that you wanted, you would make Transformers. And this one uh, is just, is just going to explode. Shia LaBeouf and Ma- Megan Fox are both back, and both are much bigger names even uh, than they were when they were going into the first one. Uh, there really aren't any teen-targeted action flicks near near it either. You have to go back an entire month and um, uh, uh, maybe three weeks afterwards with Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, to find a film that really directly competes for this kind of audience, uh, at least on this kind of scale... So really, uh, tr- nobody is getting anywhere near Transformers, and that that'll happen with studios sometimes. You know, obviously they they set their dates way in advance, and they can they can fiddle with them. But you know, it, there's sort of an understanding that you don't want to be anywhere near this film unless you think you can really compete with it. And 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 the studios don't seem to like to do that. So there's really nobody on either side of this flick. Uh, everything points to this just being massive. We could easily be looking at four hundred million dollars domestically, assuming it's not downright horrible. So uh, look out for that. Um, and I, I got to say, uh, you know, I I like to think of myself as having decent taste in film, and maybe this undermines it, but I thought the first film was a lot of fun. It was really the epitome of what a summer popcorn movie should be, and uh, I got to admit, I'm looking forward to the second. Uh, especially because um, word has it that a lot of emphasis was placed this time on making the special effects a little crisper. Um, they were good last time, but during most of the fight scenes, all you really saw were two giant hunks of metal kind of... F- flinging each other around, and you couldn't really tell them apart, and apparently a special effort has been made to uh, more easily differentiate the different characters, and um, I think that'll go a long way. Uh, Week after that, uh, July 3rd, obviously this is going to bleed over into the, uh, I'm sorry, this is going to overlap a little bit, I should say, with the July 4th weekend. Uh, Two films, um, again, uh, counter-programming here, so they're not really competing for the same money. Uh, First is Public Enemies. Uh, Obviously, this is Johnny Depp, Christian Bale, It's about John Dillinger. Um, I'm sure they've taken a number of historical liberties, but the cast looks great, the trailer's fantastic. It's a Michael Mann picture, so you know it's going to be well made, and you know it's going to be pretty long. Uh, right now IMDb has it at 2 hours and 23 minutes, uh, which is hardly surprising. Uh, that same weekend, Ice Age 3, Dawn of the Dinosaurs. Now, i got to admit, I've got a little bit of a soft spot uh, for this series, mainly because of the scrat, that uh, little rat-slash-squirrel-type thing, uh, voiced actually by the director, Chris Wedge, the director of all three films. Uh, To my mind, uh, they're kind of carrying on the uh, fine but very depressing tradition of uh, Wile E. Coyote here. uh, Because you don't really see characters, cartoon characters uh, maimed for our amusement as much as you once did. And uh, in these films, they mercilessly beat Scrat, uh, as well as anyone, really. Uh, This movie is uh, also probably going to join in on the 3D chorus, which seems to be gaining a lot of steam among uh, kids' films. You'll notice pretty much all the big uh, hits are, uh, are 3D now. You know, I'm not terribly impressed with the 3D technology. It's better than it was, and it's not bad. Uh, but I think it's catching on, particularly with the children's films, because the, you know the youngins are uh, a bit more likely to be impressed by it. Uh, the week after that is uh, July 10th, uh, and and that sees the release of Bruno, which is Sasha Baron Cohen's latest film and his follow-up to the huge hit Borat. What's interesting about this is that he's sort of. Uh, Sort of running out of people he can mess with at this point. Apparently, um, Drudge was reporting, I believe, that he needed something like 30 fake production companies to keep fooling people into letting him into their various events and uh and organizations long enough for him to you know embarrass himself in front of them or embarrass them in front of the camera. Uh, don't know how well this is what this one's gonna do. I think. It's, it's bound to be a letdown, if only because Borat was such a huge hit and, uh, and was so well received. I'm sure it'll be, it'll do pretty well, particularly because, you know, they're, they're touting it as the follow-up to Borat. But, uh, I just, I just, I have to feel that it's not going to be quite as well received that a few people are going to be let down. And you've got to wonder how long he can do this. You got, you got to figure he's going to branch out into something else, uh, pretty soon, uh, because you can't go making fake production companies forever. You know, he's got to, at some point, he's going to hit, uh, the law of diminishing returns, um, and uh, he's going to have to do something else. Uh, whether or not it's the next film or a couple more down the line, we'll see. Uh, next up, uh, on July 15th, is uh, really the last uh, huge film of the summer, uh, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. This was actually supposed to come out uh, during the last holiday season, uh, November of 2008. It uh, got pushed back, obviously, about eight months now, normally, when a film is delayed, uh, no matter the reason, it's a really bad sign. But I think this is going to be a noteworthy exception. Uh, we're still looking at just over two years from one film to the next, so it's not as if you know they needed an an abnormally long uh, amount of time to make this film. It is a very important film. There's a lot to condense. It's still one of the longer books, although pretty much all the books uh, from four on are pretty long. Um, and the last couple of books in the series, obviously, uh, arguably more delicate than some of those in the middle. Um, this is their last chance to do any number of things. So I think the delay is probably understandable. Uh, We're also all aware that the series, uh, like the books, uh, has grown up a lot, uh, but this one is going to take it to new heights. Uh, This is going to be uh, much darker, uh, much more somber than the others, and you can tell already from the trailers that uh, it's really, whereas it was kind of a process uh, before, they've really reached the end of it. They've done a complete 180, and it really is for, you know, older audiences at this point. You know, I think uh, it'll still be appropriate for children, but they are venturing uh, awfully close to PG-13 territory uh, if they're not there already. Uh, Interestingly enough, um, this is going to be directed by David Yates, who directed the last film. Um, And he actually directed uh, also the British miniseries State of Play, uh, which uh, the Ben uh, Affleck-Russell Crowe vehicle of the same name is based on and uh, is in theaters now. And is well worth seeing, by the way. Uh, After that, it's pretty much all downhill after Harry Potter. Uh, The next film uh, is July 24th, and uh, (laughs) it's a movie called G-Force, which is about uh, CGI gerbils, if I'm not mistaken. I uh, can't really think of a lot to say about this one, except that if you're the kind of person who thinks it's funny when a white person says "fashizzle," then this movie should give you just fits of hysterics. Uh, you know, if the thought of animals acting like people makes you laugh, you'll like this flick. Uh, heck, if you loved Beverly Hills Chihuahua, you're probably going to love G-Force. I don't know if anyone listening to this um, fits that criteria. I certainly hope not. If you do, please turn this off. It's not for you. But uh felt I should mention it anyway, if only because uh, I'm pretty sure we're all going to be making fun of this movie in a few months. So uh, start thinking your jokes now, because uh, there's going to be quite a few, and uh, there's going to be a lot of competition. A week after that, July 31st, Funny People. This is a Judd Apatow-directed film. Uh, and when it comes to Judd Apatow films, most reviewers uh, note, either when reviewing one of the films he's made or one of the films he's helped produce, which he still seems to have a lot of influence over, they note that they're funny and they're raunchy, but they're also kind of sweet, uh, that they have a heart, and, and that most of them contain some level of uh, insight into human nature. Now funny people seems to take that a uh, a step further. Um it seems to be kind of continuing on in that direction. Seems much more serious. Uh the comedy's a little more higher minded. I'm sure there'll be some insanity uh, as evidenced by Eric Bana seemingly tackling people in the trailer. Uh but it does seem to be just a little more grown up. Uh Apatow almost seems to be easing us into it. Um and uh, I for one am, am pretty interested in it and of course the cast is is phenomenal. And it's interesting to see Adam Sandler do something just a little more out there. He, he we know he's capable of this sort of thing uh from Punch-Drunk Love, of course. Um and it's nice to see that he's still doing something just just a little outside maybe of his comfort zone. Uh something else interesting about this is the way it's being marketed. Uh the uh, film has one main trailer out uh to this point. And it's making a point to advertise it as a uh, quote the third film from director Judd Apatow, um, sort of like it's an event. Um, and I think you know that's one of the reasons they're doing this. I think they're really trying to emphasize that you know, hey, look, this guy's two for two. You know, and uh, both forty-year-old virgin and and knocked up were home runs. So even if you're not nuts about some of the side projects, some of the ones he's produced, you know, when he when he actually sits in the director's chair, he makes winners. And they're probably just doing it to differentiate also between the films uh, he directs and the many, many films he helps produce and uh, has his name uh, in the credits for. Uh week after that, uh, we've got pretty much the last noteworthy film of the summer. It's uh, August 7th, and the film is G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. This film is a mess. Uh, not only uh, the film itself, although I'm, I'm guessing at this point, obviously, but the marketing is all over the place. Uh, we saw obviously a Super Bowl ad, which was in February, and it comes out at the tail end of the summer. That's six months beforehand. And, you know, it's one thing to, to throw up a trailer for The Lord of the Rings a year in advance, kind of get people talking. This isn't that kind of film. This doesn't have that kind of built-in interest. And by the time we get to the end of the summer, people are going to have seen all the other action flicks, and they're gonna, they're gonna have forgotten all about this. And it's just gonna seem so anticlimactic. And you know, it really pains me to say it because I hold a, a very uncommon affection for our good friends, the ninjas. Uh, but this one looks like just an unalloyed bomb. I think uh, I think they should have released it earlier in the summer. Maybe even tried to beat Wolverine to the punch. And if it wasn't plausible, then rethink your entire marketing strategy, uh, if nothing else. Uh, and it's just going to look underwhelming. You know, maybe maybe would have a chance if it were kicking things off and people were kind of hungry for the summer movie season to start. But as is, uh, I think this one is is in big big trouble. And uh and maybe this is pedantic of me, but it does seem a little weird that they they have a subtitle on the first film in the uh, quote unquote franchise here. Anyway, that's just a quick overview of the films uh, that are going to be coming out this summer. Obviously, as the summer goes on, some of these films are going to be you know better or worse than we expected, and there'll be more and more to talk about. So we're gonna we're gonna narrow in on some of these films as the summer progresses. Uh, but this should give you a, a nice little overview of what to expect and uh, what to avoid, hopefully. Uh, the podcast hopefully should be back within a few weeks. Hopefully sooner. Uh, we sh- we're gonna get some radio. We're gonna get some guests uh, on the line too, as well. Uh, we're gonna and uh, you know maybe if we're really lucky, get some really awful sound effects in here. Anyway, too. that's just a, a quick broad overview of the summer movie season. Uh, just like in the last podcast, before we leave you, I'd uh, like to play a little bit of um, cinematic music, uh, keeping with the summer movie uh, season theme. Uh, here's a little bit of music from the score of the first Pirates of the Caribbean film. And that'll just about do it. I hope you've enjoyed this preview and I hope you'll uh, keep an eye out uh, for future podcasts as the summer movie season progresses. Thanks for listening. While them in the end. You got hit. You can have flaws, problems, but while them in the end. And you've got to hit.